Hi, and welcome to Dollars and Making Sense, a weekly program about money, finance, and investing on Radio Northern Beaches and broadcast nationally across the community radio network in Australia. I'm your host, Ray Trevison from OTG Capital, and I'm really pleased to welcome to the microphone today Scotty North from Real Estate. What, what's the name of the company again, Scotty? <laughs> Real Property Advice. There we go, real property advice. So, Scotty, I guess before we get into the gist of what we're talking about today, can you give the listeners a bit of background to how you got involved in this uh, in this industry and and uh, a little bit about your company? Sure thing. Uh, so, uh, I started well about twenty years ago into property, uh, but before that, I was uh, like all of us in something else. Uh, and that was telecommunications. But in telecommunications, I used to negotiate high-end uh, contracts between uh, mobile phone providers, so Nokia, Ericsson, Motorola, all those names that we don't hear of anymore. And uh, and so anyway, I had had enough of that, did that for a while. And, uh, and I said, okay, well, I'm pretty good at that negotiating sort of thing, so what do people spend the most money on? Spend the most money on cars and property. Oh, they spend more on property. Oh, I'll go and help them do that. That was it. There was no scientific sort of, you know, calculations done. I just went, I'll go and do that. And uh, so I actually started out sourcing US properties for Aussie investors, quite high yielding property, uh, things like 20, 25% and very, very cheap property compared to what we saw here. Uh, And the same time, my wife and I decided that we're having a family, had kids. I got over to flying backwards and forwards to the US. So I thought I'll just do the same thing over here in Australia. So uh, I started helping people buy property here, realised you had to be a licensed real estate agent. So I went and did that and have been an agent ever since. But I didn't come from a, a sales background for agency. It was always that uh, that negotiation and sourcing and what have you. Anyway, so we entered uh, GFC as a Queensland buyer's agent and I came out of GSC as real property advice because uh, we saw there's a whole bunch of things that we could add to people's experiences in property, uh, not least of which when you're a buyer's agent, you're telling people not to buy property because of the yields. Uh, that didn't help the cash flow going into GFC. Uh, and so we found that, you know, we could do a lot of other things apart from that. Uh, and then so fast forward for a bit, had some, you know, quite a lot of uh, clients following us over time and they'd be knocking on the door saying, let's do uh, renovations. Uh, let's do something different. Uh, and it's like, oh, I don't want to do a renovation. Um, if you did a renovation, you're not going to make any money if you pay me to help with that because I charge too much. So uh, we'll do development. So in 2015, I'd had a group of people say, we want to do some development. We, we located a developer. We tentatively put our, our feet in the water there. Uh, and I had about 15, 17 people that expressed interest. We had a splitter block. So it was a block with uh, on three titles. And we were going to uh, boundary realign them. So the house stayed in the middle and we sort of cut off two blocks, right, rather than being one big block. And uh, I emailed 17 people and I said, okay, uh, here's your chance. We need 350 grand. Let's get going. And in 24 hours, we had a million bucks. And so I went, whoa, okay, hang on. These guys are really keen on this. And so that that was sort of the next stage of our business where we just kind of, they just kept wanting to do more and more of that. And so that's a big part of what we do now, as well as the advisory, is is developing for clients uh, in a, is a big part of what we do. Yes, I guess real estate is just one of those things. I come from Sydney, you're a Queenslander, but here in Sydney, real estate, and I guess Melbourne as well, always tends to be the very favourite topic of, of discussion because I have to admit uh, to the listeners that 
uh, over the last sort of four or five years, the thing in my household that's made the most money is not me or my wife, it's been our house. <laughs> and so uh, when, when you're sitting on, and it literally is a virtual gold mine because we are looking at a whole range of things that we may potentially do with our block of land because we sit uh, here up on the northern beaches on a pretty decent uh, chunk of uh, dirt. And so it's funny that you say that, that you know most people, when you think about it, their biggest investment in their life will be the family home, won't it? Yeah, exactly right. And you very rightfully pointed out the amount it's earned. I remember a headline from just after I started, it would have been 0405. Um, and the, one of the, the local papers in the area put printed a headline saying, your house has earned more than you this year. And it earned, you know, 1300 or 1500 a week is an average increase for that year in that area. Uh, and at the time, that was more than the average wage. Well, funny enough, last year, the same headline was reprinted in a different figure, right? Uh, your house has earned more than you. So there's these, all these cycles that happen, and no news is, is new news. Ray, it's all come round again, and uh, and here we are again on the, on the, with another sort of massive movement in prices, and the same headlines are being thrown around. I, I guess that's my very first question to you, because we, when we were talking about doing the show, what would we talk about? And I guess when it comes to property, my word, if there's a never-ending bevy of things that we could talk about, but I, I keep on reading about property cycles and booms and busts and the like, and my word, even on my Twitter feed, the number of people that keep telling us that the Australian housing market is going to go bust, and I keep on saying to them, look, what happened in America will not happen here because we have something called uh, recourse borrowing. Uh, yes. But I guess from your perspective, Scotty, do you believe that even in this country cycles exist? Yeah, look, I do definitely uh, Ray, and I've got first-hand experience on the, the, you know, what happened in the US. I'd go through some of those properties and uh, they'd pay them to get out and leave the keys because what they'd do is they'd go and cut all the copper and, and sell it at scrap metal and, uh, and the place would be, you know, virtually destroyed. So the banks were paying them because they could walk away. And to re reiterate on your point was that, that non-recourse and recourse borrowing. You know, there's a big difference between what they could do over there and here, which underpins the stability of the market. We can't just pick up and walk away here and move away and, and, and leave our property to, to Westpac and say, there you go, it's all yours, because that's just not good. But in terms of cycles, yeah, we follow cycles really closely in our business, especially me. And, uh, and there's so many different things that we see happening. Uh, and they never happen the exact same way, but they happen repetitively. And when you're in it, you don't always necessarily see it until you look back at it and go, oh, that's the same thing that happened X number of years ago or <laughs> 10 years ago. You know what I mean? And it's, it's always hard when you're in it. And I'm not talking about the whole property doubles every seven to 10 years and, you know, all those things that get bandied around. Look, if that happens in that time, that's fine. I don't tell people that. What I say is that there's certain characteristics in the market that happen repetitively every 10 years or 18 years or whatever it might be, and those are the things that we watch. We don't necessarily say your property's going to double in this way because it, no one knows that. But what we can say is that, well, at these times, if the banks are taking these actions, then generally speaking, these are the results that happen afterwards, and they're the things that we need to look out for. I guess what's fascinating to me when we're talking about real estate cycles, one of the economists that I, I quite like and follow quite a lot is Stephen Kukalis. Um, and from that perspective, he commentates on housing 
prices quite a lot. And so many people were giving him a hard time because with the downturn that's recently occurred, uh, even in our own uh, very buoyant Sydney market, uh, the prices did come off, but he's sitting there going, look, the gloom and doom of 30 40 50% just didn't happen, and we're on the rebound again. Are you seeing that uh, countrywide, Scotty, or is it just uh, specific markets that are on the rebound? I mean, some actually went up while Sydney was going down. Perth and Adelaide, for example, um, Stephen Kukalis was saying, those markets were very resilient. Um, what's your experience in that regard? Yeah, so I'm going to take a little bit of time to answer this question, Ray, because uh, I've got some thoughts about this. And one of my thoughts are that if we actually could fast forward a few years and then go back and look for, say, the past seven to eight years, how would we see of the performance of property over that time, including the reason that we, we start talking about that with that client is because my argument is that stop a natural action happening, like buying, selling property, you know, locking up in homes and all that sort of stuff, right, because we couldn't get out, then is the pent-up demand the spike we saw or was it? Is it something else? Because what we're sort of being told is, oh, it's this corona-induced, uh, we all wanted to go and buy more property. My argument is that what happened was we took, you know, say two years where it kind of not much happened or 18 months and we kind of fed that into the next 15 months, 12, 18 months, whatever you want to say that time frame was, well, of course, we're going to see a massive spike in things that happened. And so the reason I'm backfilling that is because if you look at it that way, then it's kind of like we burnt out all our wood. Now we're going to go back to our baseline, but our baseline might have already been on a move trajectory upward. Um, We've just had this massive hump and therefore it's come back down. And then hang on, tick. now things are either leveling out or moving up. I don't think we're seeing just yet huge prices tanking because we're seeing there's a lot of fundamentals in the market that are telling us otherwise. Let's just put it that way. It's fascinating because when people ask me, and I'm going to be a little specific now because uh, my investment fund, for example, we use real estate as collateral against our commercial loans. And so I follow this very closely. I also follow interest rates uh, from an RBA perspective very closely because how the interest rates go up and down is a key factor to whether I pay my clients a certain rate of interest or not. And so when we collateralise our loans, the value of the property is incredibly important. And so we make some very definitive decisions around what we think is valuable and transferable back into cash very quickly. And this is where I think we make that distinction. So, you know, I look at markets in and around Australia. What I've seen certainly, and I'd like you to comment uh, in the last three to five years, is property seems to be turning over a lot faster than it used to. Are you seeing the same thing? Yeah, we sure have. And, it, you know, I still think that's a bit of a, a corona-induced, you know, especially in the past two years, right? We had a lot of people that were either buying separate, separate properties or exiting the capital cities into, into regional or rural areas. Um, and so there was that massive turnover in that space. Uh, and we have seen the reversal of that. I know that there is some people that have been to uh, an area say a large regional area, say the Sunshine Coast or what have you, or maybe a Newcastle area, and they've gone, oh, I really kind of want to get back to the big smoke. So they've gone gone backwards back to where they came from, if you know what I mean. So that would mm-hmm. definitely indicate 
a large number of turnover because those people would otherwise have been based in one spot have now done multiple transactions to get back to kind of where they were um, or the fact that they even moved in the first place is just a transaction that would have not usually have happened. So, yeah, there is has been a large number of turnover. Um, and you mentioned the, the watching of the, the rates, the interest rates, because that's a big thing. And, yeah, it is a big thing. And that's the, I think that's the thing that well, anyone with a mortgage is watching, right? Mm, absolutely absolutely it's always on the and it's it's topical because we've now been through uh, i guess a period even though we try to be less time sensitive in our discussions on the radio program but we're all living through a time that in the past 12 months we've seen interest rates go up certainly far more appreciably than we had in the previous five to eight years so look Scotty, it's about time for a short break. You're here on Dollars and Making Sense. I'm Ray Trevison, your host. We'll be back in just a moment. Hi, and thank you for listening to Dollars and Making Sense, a weekly radio program about finance, money and investing on Radio Northern Beaches and nationally on the community radio network around Australia. The views, comments and opinions aired during our program should not be construed or viewed as financial advice. Any commentary is general advice only and does not take into account your objectives, financial situation or needs. You should consider whether the advice is suitable for you and your personal circumstances. If in doubt, you should contact an authorised licensed financial planner. We welcome questions and feedback and you can get in touch with us via our blog, social media channels or email. Please search for Dollars and Making Sense in your favourite podcast platform or check out our blog at otgcapital.com.au forward slash blog. And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Dollars and Making Sense, a weekly program about money, finance and investing. I'm your host, Ray Trevison, and at the microphone today, I have Scotty North. And we are talking about buyer's agents. Now, during the break, Scotty, we were talking about a whole range of things. I just get really excited about talking about property because it's just so many things we can be talking about. So what I'm going to try and do for the second half of the show is just limit our discussion to what buyer's agents do. Because, look, we're going to pick up on this. You know, there are so many threads here that we can pick up on. So, look, first of all, let's get back to basics, you know, 1.01. What does a buyer's agent do? Uh, for a client that walks in the door? Sure. Uh, a buyer's agent should always represent the buyer. I mean, I know it sounds like that's kind of like a no-brainer, <laughs> um, but a real estate agent is really a seller's agent and a buyer's agent is the buyer's agent. And they should be remunerated and conditioned that way. And I'll get into that in a sec. Uh, the reason I sort of clarify that is because there's a lot of uh, buyer's agents in in a real estate office and those buyers agents are the ones who take the buyers around to show them the houses to sell the sellers and they just call them internally in the office buyers agents but they're not a proper buyers agent they're a seller's agent who who is running the buyers okay a proper buyers agent is always paid by the buyer so your client as in the professional's client is who pays their bill so when you sell a property the client of the real estate agent pays the bill. So the seller pays the bill. And in a buyer's agent transaction, in this country at least, uh, the buyer should be the one paying the bill to the buyer's agent. And the reason for that is that they're the ones, they're contracted in that manner. So a a seller's agent is contracted to get the highest price or the best price 
and the best terms available to their client. And a buyer's agent is contracted to get the best price and the best terms available to their client. So as you can see, they're conflicting, right? Just like a buyer and a seller is conflicting, a seller's agent and a buyer's agent should be conflicting. The buyer's agent should be getting the best price for their client. And so when they are only operating under one agreement, as in a seller's agreement, then the buyer, the buyer's agent is really only working for the seller and you don't want that. So if you're a buyer who's using a buyer's agent and you're not paying a fee to that buyer's agent, that's your first you know, red flag to look at. So that, that's your big so red flag. The big red flag, right? It's a big one. That's the first thing you gotta, you got to work out. And look, there's plenty of decent, good buyer's agents, right? I mean, it's not going to be hard to jump online and find one in your area that works for you. Um, and make sure you ask them this type of questions. So the second thing is you want one who uh, works in the type of property and the area that you're looking to buy in, right? And just like sales agents can be specialised, buyers agents can be specialised. So there could be a commercial property buyers agent that works for that or there's there's one in your local area that, that works in your region or whatever. Um, and so that's, that's part of the screening questions that you have with buyers agents and their history and how long they've been trading and all that sort of stuff. But what a buyer's agent actually does, Ray, is the reason it's so important to have that connection uh, for the representation is because, well, they're the one batting for you, right? They're the one in there um, in the scrum trying to get the ball out and the best deal, the golden egg, whatever you want to call it. They're the ones Mm -hmm. that are sniffing out the deals for you because you've engaged them to do so. They're your representative. And they represent you at the auction or whatever it might be. Uh, and, and it's meant to have your best interests. So you need to be able to like the person. You need to be able to trust them. And you need to be able to work with them. Um, but they are a very important role. If the role's done properly, it's a very, very important role for someone who does that. Because they're essentially, they're not, you know, they're not giving away all authority to the buyer's agent. And they're not just, you know, abdicating the position as the purchaser but you are definitely inserting someone who needs to be trusted and who is going to help you along the way. So that's not a small thing to do. On the flip side of that, it's a totally great thing to do if you don't have the confidence or the time or the experience, you know, or or the local knowledge or whatever it might be to go and do that transaction. So the buyer's agent will definitely help you with that. I must say, uh, from my own personal experience, when I transacted my last home purchase, which is going back a long while now, I mistakenly thought the real estate agent was a nice guy and he was looking after my best interests. And I I found out much later to my chagrin that uh, he really wasn't. He was, as you rightly said, Scotty, he was there looking after the seller and I was just the schmuck that walked in the door and got taken for a beauty because I must say I'd never heard of buyer's agents at that time and given um, I I had a, a decent chunk of money that I'd made through the internet and I was very fortunate, I, I won't, uh, I, I won't uh, say otherwise, but I think I ended up paying a, a decent chunk of money more that I'm absolutely certain if I had had a buyer's agent whispering me in my ear going, Ray, walk away. You don't have to do this, mate. And, and you don't have to pay. You know, it's some of the tactics that I've seen in auctions, particularly here in Sydney, I, I, again, I don't know what it's like in other locales, but here locally, I just scratch my head and go, man, 
you really need somebody on your side. And I think, you know, I think if people understand that, I guess, Scotty, can we get down to tin tax? I know when we're talking about commissions, people are always going to get funny because it's a fairly major purchase. But when you're engaging a buyer's agent, what kind of fees are they normally going to be up for? Yeah, um, so there's uh, there's a couple of different ways that they charge. A lot of buyers agents can charge a, a like a, I'd call a traditional way of charging, like a commission, a, a mm-hmm. percentage commission. Um, and then there's the contingent in buyers agency land that don't charge that; they charge a fixed fee or a, a fee in a range. Um, well, personally, I prefer a fixed fee within a range. For example, you know, property up to a million dollars could be this fee. Property a million to a million and a half is this fee. Um, and the reason is, is because I never want to the client to think that they are the more they pay, the more that the buyer's agent should earn, right? Because the buyer's agent is transactional. So, if anything, you could kind of reverse it, right? If you get a better price, then I can pay you more, rather than sort of the opposite of a sales agent. But what what mm. someone should expect to pay is still going to depend on their price range of property. And as much as that probably is sometimes not particularly an accurate way of pricing. It's still the way that most real estate industries work, right? It's, it's to do around the price. Uh, because, and the reason I say that is that it can be just as difficult, if not more so, to find a decent property for 700000 in an area as it is to buy a property for $1.5 million in the area. Um, so why should you pay more for the $1.5 million, right? I mean, but the simple fact is it really is area dependent on where you're going. If, if your whole area median house price is a million bucks, it's going to be impossible to find something for 350 grand. So it's not going to matter what you charge. You're really not going to find it. And and the flip side is that it might be just as difficult to find something for 2 million. So there is always going to be a natural range that comes into an area in which you work. And because of that, the prices were reflected. So you can expect to pay anything from, say, $10,000 on something, you know, 500,000 uh, to, you know, 30,000 or more if it's well over a million dollars. Uh, pushing two million, or or then it can start to drop off as a percentage if it gets you know to four or five million dollars. It, it this it's really got to be a large range, Ray, because there's no sure. sort of set price. It's not legislated. There's no governing of pricing, and but they all kind of even out in the same sort of services can work on the same prices. I'd say ring a few and get a good idea. I, I guess I'd like to pose a, an innovative question to you. When my mother and father were still around, they asked me to help them sell their their property. Uh, they were moving into a, a different house down Canberra Way. And so I started engaging with some of the, the realtors and I found, you know, the normal thing was, you know, they'd do anything and say anything to get the listing. Um, and I went back to them with a rather innovative thing that said, well, look, what's a, a fair market valuation? And so they came... Uh, I was talking to three or four of them at the time and and uh, and they came back to me with a figure and I said, okay, so that's the line in the sand. So I said, let's say 5% below that, you'd, you'd be able to give it away, wouldn't you? And they're all easily saying, oh, yeah, yeah, of course, you, you're just giving it away then, aren't you? I said, fine. So what I went back to all four of them was I said, okay, if you are able to get your market valuation, I'll pay you X uh, and if you can get above that, I'll pay you 2x. I'll give you an incentive if you can get my mum and dad a better price. But I said, but here's the kicker. 
I said, if you give the house away at the price that we've agreed upon is giving it away, you get nothing. Well, I've got to tell you, I scared three out of the four of them away going, oh, 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 no, we can't do business that way. And I said, well, why? I said, you've just told me in an honest conversation that you can give the house away. So if you can give it away, I can give it away too. So why would I give it away and pay you a commission to do so? Because I think we've both seen and we've seen here locally in the Sydney market where real, real estate agents, when they start getting lazy, if they've got too much going on, they'll just simply give a house away because they're still going to get the lion's share of their commission, even if the pr- exactly. price is 10% lower. Is this something that you could, I guess, increasingly negotiate or is it still very much the you know, the shoes on the other foot? I, I just wanted to posit that to you. Yeah. Are you talking about... Are we still talking about selling here? Are we talking about with the buyer's agent side of things? Well, it goes both ways, I guess, because, you know, if somebody sure. came in and said, look, I want you to be my buyer's agent and the listed price is, let's say, $2 million, and they come back and say, well, I can get it to you for 2.2 and it's like, well, gee, thanks for nothing, you know. I yeah, could have got it for, right. for 10% above as well. So I'm just mm. sort of trying to set some barriers here that say, is there a way to negotiate with both buyer and seller agents that say, look, do your job. Okay, and if you don't do your job, I don't think I should pay you a commission just for you turning up. I think I'm just trying to, uh, I guess, gauge your view because you're in the industry. I'm not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fair enough. I think that uh, I think there's definitely a way to do that uh, with selling. Um, and the reason I say with selling and not so much buying, and buying would be a little bit more complicated, is because with selling you have the one house that you're dealing with. So you can get a valuation on that one house from a valuation firm or multiple real estate agents or whatever, and then you can have that conversation of those KPIs with the sales agents. Uh, with, with buying, you could do the same thing, but you'd have to do it on each property that you went to negotiate on. So you'd have to go and get an, a, you know, a valuation on that one and that one and that one. So it would be a little bit more difficult from that perspective, but the concept is sound in the sense that, well, if you get it for this, I'll pay you that. If you get it under that, I'm not going to pay anything. You know, so that's right. I just think it gets complicated on the buying side because no one's going to want to pay for right. multiple valuations. That's where it falls and, down. And, 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 I, and I think what's happening of recent times as well is there's just been a very competitive market. I mean, here locally, in even my own part of the world, you know, the average time on market has decreased so greatly. So they don't last long. So, so look. No, they don't. Scott, the other thing too... Uh, Ray, I'll just throw in there that there was a buyer's agent who had a running ticking total on his on his website that said, this is how much I've saved clients. Um, and it was all based on list price versus what he got it for. So it's not a bad idea, except yeah, the fact that's is, good. What's a, what's a list price? List price is yeah. nowhere near what I was going to pay for a property anyway. And we've, we've paid at, below and above to, depending on the property. Like if it's a really hot market and we know we want that property, then we're going to go in and offer this and we're going to beat other people out of the water. I mean, that's essentially what an auction is, right? Um, and, and and at price, just because, you know, a buyer's agent has got a relationship as in they're known in the area, they can get properties for others. Um, so the whole list price is doesn't mean anything because it's not cemented till someone does a transaction. Well, look, Scotty, it's been a great chat and I'm definitely going to have you back on the show. We've run out of time, unfortunately, for today. Look, there are so many more things I want to talk to you about. Thanks so kindly for being on the show. Listeners, thanks for being uh, with us at Dollars and Making Sense. And until next time, Scotty, it's adios. Adios.